this episode of TES Podagogy, I'm Helen Amas, TES Deputy Commissioning Editor, standing in for your usual host, John Severs. My guest is Angela Duckworth, Christopher H. Brown Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, who's best known for her work on grit and character education. Angela talks to me about her latest research on character and gives her take on if and how character can be taught. She was on an underground train for the first part of our conversation, so I apologise for the slightly gritty audio quality at the start of this episode. Bear with it because it does get better. So most um, teachers in the UK, so uh, our readers, will know you primarily for your work on uh, on grit. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Grit is the combination of passion and perseverance for long-term goals that I've observed in achievers, you know, in the arts and music and in sports and finance. a kind of common denominator among high achievers. And what, why do you think that these uh, your ideas around grit have resonated so much with teachers? So the the resonance of grit in the you know in the, in the teaching community and 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 frankly more broadly than the parents and business leaders, sports coaches, I think in part is because many of us have the intuition that it can't just be talent raw talent that makes somebody successful, that in fact doing something important in no matter what it is that you choose to do requires sustained effort and the psychology of sustained effort is really what's been fascinating to me uh, and and drew me to this idea of grit in the first place. Can you tell me a bit more about um, about how you did did come to approach grit? Um, you know, what was the research that led you led you to that? My very first research studies looked at high achievers. I tried to look at domains where I could objectively measure their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And so that included West Point and the military academy here in the United States, you know, the, the academy that is um, you know, responsible for providing 25% of the officers to the U.S. Army each year. Um, very hard to get in and, and also difficult to complete, uh, especially the first summer training when you're you know, for the first time in your life, maybe below average, frankly, for these, you know, elite Mm. young men and women Mm. who are, you know, academically accomplished, athletically um, accomplished, et cetera. And I looked at National Spelling Bee competitors. Those are kids who compete in an American tournament called the Spelling Bee, um, and they study for hours and hours uh, a week, sometimes hours and hours a day. And in those domains, I found that grit and measures of talent were not at all synonymous. In fact, you had lots of kids who were really, really passionate and hardworking um, and who were not necessarily on any objective measure, like an IQ score or a standardized test, you know, the ones who were at the top. Um, I found that talent did predict outcomes, but I also found that grit separately, um, you know, provided some of the explanation for who succeeded ultimately and who did not. Well, and you also, um, I believe, have a, a teaching background as well. So you perhaps had um, an existing interest in, in how this could be applied to education. Yeah, my motivation as a psychologist is really almost entirely about what could be, you know, translated from the science into practice mm-hmm. for parents and teachers. Because my my life goal, my top level goal, is, as, as I would call it, the thing that motivates everything else I do professionally, is to help kids thrive. You've now um, moved on from uh, just focusing on, on grit to, to look more at, at character. Um, within, within this context, how, how would you define character? What do you mean by character? For me, character includes strengths like grit and self-control, which I studied personally as a scientist, but also extends to empathy and compassion, kindness, generosity, gratitude. 
those strengths that I would call strengths of heart because they are really about you um, relating in positive ways to other people. Mm-hmm. And then finally, to strengths of mind, and those are strengths like curiosity and creativity, intellectual humility, you know, those strengths that enable you to have a really free and fertile life of the mind. And I think that all of these strengths are important for kids to develop. What, do you think it's possible to teach these kind of character traits then? You know, there's some debate about whether you can teach these or whether they are, in fact, um, you know, you have them or you you don't, or maybe somewhere in between people say, you can pick them up, but you can't be taught them the way you can be taught tennis mm. or calculus. And my feeling is that, you know, some amount of learning is in naming these things, talking about them, really explicit and intentional things that teachers and parents can do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is modeling, and that is implicit. Why do you think um, it, it's so important for schools to, to be focusing on, on this and, and, and developing these character traits in, in students? You know, it's not the first time in history that, you know, educators and, and others have thought about these character strengths. And you can call them character strengths, you can call them 21st century skills, mm. you can call them life skills. I will say that this is a timeless topic. And mm. one of the ironies, I think, is that, you know, humility and, and grit and creativity and gratitude, these are not things that we newly need in the 21st century. It's its probably since time immemorial that people who want to be good and want to be great, mm-hmm. uh, you know, need to develop these over their life course. What's some, what's some of the research that's in, informing um, your work on character? Well, one study that uh, suggests to me that there is a, a usefulness and a validity to talking about strengths of of heart and strength of mind, as well as what I personally study, these strengths of will, like grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one justification for that three-part taxonomy is a research study that I did with adolescents, and we gave um, you know hundreds of these teenagers questionnaires, and we as well gave questionnaires to their teachers, mm-hmm. and we had them just you know for a long list of behaviors say whether you know this is something they they did or they didn't do, and we find that there are these three clusters. You know these three kind of groupings of character strengths that uh, that resemble each other within the group more than across the group, and and that is to say that you know when a kid has grit, they're likely to have self-control, not perfectly, but there's just on average uh, a trend, and then likely if you are, for example, grateful, you know you're also somebody who has, for example, social intelligence, um, and and so this grouping of heart, mind, and will these three families come out in data and that's one of the studies that you know really um, motivates our work because it says to us that if you're a teacher mm-hmm. or a headmaster or a, a parent you know you in a way have a three item checklist I mean are my kids developing in these three important domains if they're only developing in one uh, or even two you know maybe there's some attention that needs to be given to what is lacking mm. well, I, it sounds like um to, to me, um, many teachers and school leaders would be really on board with this idea that we need to make students more well-rounded, we need to, um, to cultivate um, these kind of um, positive traits in them. I think the difficulty for them, uh, as they would see it, would be how do we fit this in? You know, the, the curriculum is, is so uh, busy already, um, teachers are so time poor. How do we incorporate this into, into the day-to-day learning in the classroom? You know, I don't know a teacher who isn't busy and, and, you know, doesn't feel like they have, 
you know, just so many things that they are already doing and mm-hmm. the idea that you'd have to do, you know, one more thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for a lot of uh, teachers and also the leaders, you know, mm-hmm. school leaders, you know, a real um, hesitation. And I, that's completely legitimate. And then the, then the question is, like, how do you do this without mm-hmm. it making it, quote, unquote, one more thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the ways that you do that is modeling. Mm-hmm. You know, a teacher who is truly passionate about their about their work, their vocation as a teacher, the subject material, you know, that is a big way that you teach passion for, mm-hmm. for uh, it doesn't mean that your students will necessarily grow up to be teachers, but they'll grow up and they'll have a visual model and a personal example of what it means to love what you do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that doesn't necessarily take more curriculum time. In addition to modeling, which is so important, it's how humans learn so much, mm-hmm. um, it's how our um, you know, our young children learn things, of course, before they're in school, they're, they model the people around them. But in addition to that, I do think there are um, things that wouldn't necessarily take a whole lot of time. For example, if you are familiar with the idea of growth mindset, which mm-hmm. I find in joint work with Carol Dweck to be, um, you know, strongly correlated with, with grit, mm-hmm. um, there are things that you do when a student, for example, makes a mistake mm-hmm. or does poorly on an exam. You know, how do you frame that feedback? Do you frame it as, um, oh, God, this is terrible, um, you know, we're, we all have a real problem here, or you have a real problem, um, or do you frame it as failure is a necessary part of learning? Let's look at exactly what you got wrong. Let's actually, like, one by one um, think about, you know, why you said what you did and, and what, what we're going to do differently next time. Those things a teacher would already have to do, right? You have to give back quizzes. You have to give back grades. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to give feedback on um, on writing. But the way that you give that feedback, for example, um, and there's new science on this, can, can you know, very dramatically um, uh, determine whether your student says to themselves afterwards in some way, shape, or form, like, I'm a learner, mm-hmm. like, this is part of learning, or I'm stupid, and, like, I'm not a math person, mm-hmm. um, and, and this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that doesn't necessarily take curriculum time, but it does, of course, take some investment um, and commitment from, from teachers who, you know, want to, um, uh, you know, be psychologically wise would be the phrase that, you know, I prefer to think about that. Mm. And I guess maybe um, support from leadership as well, because I would imagine that if, if it's just one teacher trying to do it in, in their, with their one class of students, that's going to be far less effective than if it's a, a whole school effort. You know, the, the idea that you can um, in some ways shut your door and, mm. and become the um, determinant as a teacher of what goes on um, you know, in the classroom is, you know, both true and false. I think that mm-hmm. to some extent, true teachers have a lot of um, autonomy and freedom, um, you know, there's a lot of responsibility. But I also think that, um, you know, when an administration undermines what a teacher is trying to do um, versus like completely supports and enables what that teacher is trying to do makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. And mm-hmm. I also think schools have cultures. So classrooms have cultures, but schools have cultures and morale can be high and morale can be low school-wide um, so the most successful teachers that I have um, you know interviewed and studied are the ones who you know feel that they are uh, their leadership supports what they're doing mm. and for, for teachers or, or school leaders who um, who want to engage more with psych- psychology um, I can't remember the phrase was you use psych- psychologically psych- psychologically wise psychologically that's a, wise that's, a, that's it yeah. Um, where would they start with that? Where would you, you know, advise I them? think, you know, I think that, um, you know, there are lots of places to look for um, uh, for research. You know, I'll point teachers at least to our website, um, which is 
free and um, it's co-designed by scientists and educators. It's characterlab.org. Mm-hmm. And we partner um, with scientists and educators who feel like there's something um, really important and useful for teachers to learn. We create animated videos that are appropriate for showing in front of the classroom. Um, we um, have overviews of, of the science that we hope is jargon-free and easy to understand. Um, and then we actually have some ideas for, for lessons or ways to incorporate into the classroom um, some of these scientific insights into things like goal setting, like curiosity, um, you know, like practicing the way gritty people practice. You know, we're a nonprofit startup, so there's much more to come, but already I think teachers might find this a valuable resource. Mm. So how did, um, how did Character Lab come about then? Where, where, did, where was its origins? About, um, about a decade ago, really, I met two veteran educators. I, of course, was a classroom teacher um, before I became a scientist, but I um, you know, had always wanted to really partner with educators who were um, you know, really doing the, the work and not studying it from afar as I was. So these two men named Dominic Randolph and um, Dave Levin, and I started to work together, um, and about six years ago, we decided that we would start an organization that would be, by design, interdisciplinary. Uh, it would have uh, teachers and scientists who study behavior and character development. Um, and actually, we added a third strand, which is design thinking. And I think that idea of being user-centered um, mm-hmm. and thinking like a designer um, in creative and empathic ways, that's, uh, that's the birth of Character Lab. Mm-hmm. And what, um, so at the moment you're, you're doing um, research with schools, is that right, through Character Lab? We are doing research with schools. We have something that we call the Character Lab Research Network. And I know in the UK there's a um, really robust and um, reasonably recent, but really robust and admirable tradition of, um, of doing um, research in schools. Um, through EEF, through the Behavioral mm-hmm. Insights team, and sometimes both of them working together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's less of that tradition in the United States, honestly. We're in a way um, you know, playing catch-up. But we have a network of schools who have said to us, you know, we're really excited about this work. In fact, it's what we want to do ourselves. And so we're um, collaborating with those schools to run studies. You know, sometimes it's just a survey study to, you know, get a pulse on how happy kids are, um, how engaged they are, what they find you know, to be meaningful in their everyday lives. Um, and then sometimes we're actually randomly assigning kids to try different activities designed by scientists and educators to, um, you know, increase motivation or um, increase achievement. And so it's, in a way, the dream I always had as a scientist myself, which is, you know, how can you make research on meaningful and helpful topics um, that would benefit kids' lives? How can you make that as frictionless and fast as possible? And. Um, how, how successful is that being so far? Are, are, you, um, are you finding that you're, you're getting um, some really interesting results from it? Yeah, we are on character. We don't have data back yet from our um, final data back mm-hmm. yet from our very first large scale experiment, which was done in January with um, you know, 14,000 high school students who um, participated in a variety of different activities. Um, it was a coin flip, you know, which activity they would get, and that enables us to see whether, you know, any of the activities were helpful, you know, which of the activities were more helpful than others. Um, and so we'll know more um, by the end of the summer when all the school records are, are in and we can analyze the data. Um, but I will say it is science. And so, you know, unlike, um, you know, someone who's just looking for their program to be proven to be effective, um, 
for us, it's really a question of whether anything that was designed was effective. And it's the first step in a very long journey, I think, to introduce the idea of, of data and um, and um, you know innovation and um, and experimentation uh, to use a word that I think you know isn't often uttered in education circles, mm-hmm. um, but to introduce that into education because you know the scientific method and thinking about things uh, rigorously and in some ways dispassionately, like the data are what the data are. Mm-hmm. Um, if the program doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know to introduce that into K twelve. Uh, well, that's an American term, but to introduce that into education. Yeah. Now, do you find that um, you ever encounter teachers who are um, sort of slightly resistant to that way of thinking or who have um, real misconceptions about um, the relevance of a- applying this kind of research to the classroom? I think most teachers um, want to see good outcomes for their kids, but I think, you know, one element that is um, new and you know, a little bit difficult to swallow, at least for um, for some teachers for, for, you know, understandable reasons is the idea that, you know, they don't know what activity their students would be getting mm-hmm. um, and that some of the activities might be more helpful than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally teachers like to try to give the best thing to their students and just give it to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the difference in, um, in this approach is that, you know, we don't actually know, I think as a, as a civilization, um, you know, we don't know necessarily the best ways to motivate kids, the best ways to um, get them to be kind to each other, to take another person's perspective, to um, grow um, intellectually um, as creative and curious people. Since we don't know, there has to be some amount of tolerance for um, uh, experimenting, if you will, right? Like innovating. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because we don't know, there um, there is this, I think, uh, um, you know, reason to then, you know, not have all of your kids do the same thing. But it is a is a shift. And when I was a classroom teacher, I never did anything with like half my kids that I didn't do with the other half of the kids. And, mm-hmm. and so that is, I think, a bit of a, um, you know, a paradigm shift for some teachers. I think as well, if you've been in the classroom for a really long time, you're very used to, to a certain way of doing things. Um, it, it can be it can be challenging, I guess, to have um, a sort of completely new new way suggested to you, which, like you say, is still an experiment, and it it, it doesn't necessarily um, have that kind of proof that you might be looking for that it's definitely going to work for this group of students. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, mm-hmm. and I I think that um, you know if a teacher actually takes a moment to think about what they do in their own classroom, mm-hmm. you know, there's tons of experimentation, right? I mean, you know, you try a lesson plan one way, and then you realize at the end of that class it's really not going as as you would have liked, and then maybe if you're, for example, a secondary school teacher, you know, your new class files in, and you tweak it a little bit. You're mm-hmm. like, well, that that story fell flat. Let me try, you know, this other approach. So. So the idea of experimentation is, isn't really new. I think the idea of really closing the loop and doing it systematically, right, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with measures and statistics, and I think that um, uh, is, of course, new. Um, but but really, um, innovation and experimentation is is what every teacher has to do. We're just hoping to do it in a you know um, more cumulative way. Um, so many mm-hmm. things that teachers figure out work for them. You know, they never really get to tell other teachers. Um, you know, what it is that they did and why it might have worked because teachers tend to, you know, not have that medium. But but scientists, that's kind of what they do. They have a hypothesis, you know, they test it, and then whether it works or not, um, hopefully you, you, you write it up and you, you tell the world so that the insight can be shared. Mm. What, um, what, what do you think needs to happen then with, with taking this work forwards? What, where would you like to see um, Carriage Lab and, and your research into character go? 
my dream is that at some point in the not so distant future that every child experiences um, a psychologically wise teacher um, and furthermore um, uh, that every you know home has a psychologically wise parent in it and by that I mean you know grown-ups adults who really understand the way motivation and attention and interest and habits um, grit uh, you know, empathy, the way these things really work as a child is developing and in, insofar as they do understand better um, based on science, um, you know, how how development uh, works, that they're doing a better job of, of mm-hmm. raising kids to develop, uh, you know, these, these character strengths of, of heart, mind, and will. That's, that's the dream. Um, how do we get there? I think we, we do a lot more um, research in schools than we ever have before. The world's best scientists, the Nobel Prize winners, are looking to work with kids, um, and they're trying to figure out how to you know, uh, make kids' lives better. And then um, also that we're doing a much better job than we are now of communicating those scientific insights to parents and teachers. Um, we're not locking them up in hard-to-read scientific journals where, um, you know, doing video uh, interviews like this, actually, I would include in that, um, you know, we're translating science into practice so that, um, you know, all kids have a chance to thrive. And looking back on, on uh, your time in the classroom, um, and perhaps even when you were a student, I mean, do you, how do you feel like this, this, um, this work would have uh, changed how you did things? I think that I was a pretty um, well-intentioned, like I think most teachers are um, teacher, but I think I was pretty clumsy when it came to, for example, getting my kids to do their homework or getting them just to be nice to each other, you know. Um, and um, I think that if I had a better understanding of self-control, for example, instead of just nagging kids to do their homework, I would have given them strategies, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, here's one thing that you can do, like put your homework out where you can see it. Um, you know, put away distractions, like in my day and age, it was a television and video games. Now it's mostly cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that, um, you know, I didn't know about, and I would have been a lot more effective, I think, in doing what I intended to do, but wasn't doing it as effectively as I, I knew. I had an intuition I could have done it better, but I didn't know how. Okay, thanks very much for speaking to me, Angela. Um, it's really interesting, and um, best of luck with Character Lab and uh, with the research. Thank you. You've been lovely, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I really did.